I would love to go to the movies. There's always a preview, and it would say something like coming in summer of 2016 or spring of 2017. And Owen would say excitedly, Oh, I want to see that one too. I want to see that one too. And it would just crush me because I'm like, Oh, there's a real possibility that he won't be able to see it. In a way, we were lucky because we did. We had this warning, and we had 15 months with Owen after his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to remind myself that there's a lot of people who lose their loved ones suddenly and they don't get that gift of time, of knowing. Owen Von Preston, age nine, passed away Saturday, April 29th, 2017, after a courageous 16 month battle with brain cancer. Owen was born in Wilmington on April 2nd, 2008 the son of Jennifer and Brian Preston, an older brother to Luke. He was a third grader at Holly Tree Elementary School and a member of Cub Scouts. He enjoyed playing soccer, jumping on the trampoline, catching frogs, drawing, and reading. Over a short lifetime, he was able to find the good in situations and share that with others. He spent six weeks at the Ronald McDonald House of Durham, where he formed deep friendships and went on to initiate several fundraisers on behalf of RMH. He was also a huge fan of his loving team at NHRMC Infusion Program and looked forward to his visits. He is survived by his parents, Jennifer Hitch Preston and Brian Charles Preston, and brother Luke of Wilmington, grandparents Margaret and Ronald Preston of Newburn, grandparents Mary Sue and John Hitch of Raleigh, Uncle Chris and Aunt Nancy Preston of Wilmington, Uncle Andy Preston and Lisa Call of Newburn, Uncle David Hitch and Katie Ross of Asheville, Aunt Dawa Hitch of Asheville, Uncle Bill Hitch of Asheville, and cousins Connerly, Hunter, and Taylor. A memorial service will be held at St. James Episcopal Church Wednesday, May 3, 2017, at 4 p.m., with reception to follow. That was Owen's obituary. But on this podcast from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina, we go beyond the obituary to get a better sense of who Owen was, his legacy, from stories shared by his loved ones. I'm your host, Jason Gillikin, and on today's show, I talk to Owen's mom, Jennifer Preston, who tragically lost her son two years ago. On the last episode of Beyond the Obituary, I talked to Sharon Delaney McLeod, who lost her baby daughter, Macy, and she said that most parents want to talk about their children who have passed on, that they desperately want to share and to remember. That's exactly what it's like for Jennifer as well. And today, she shares so many stories of the special person that Owen was. His strength and the impact he left in touching so many lives as he was going through his battle with cancer. We also talk about how important a child life specialist can be, a trip to Alaska the family took before Owen passed away, and the work that Jennifer and her husband Brian are doing now to help with cancer research. For Owen, his battle started when he was just seven years old when he was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. Prior to that, I mean, there's just no other way to describe him as other than just a typical seven year old kid. He was smart, quick witted, but he was also shy. He had a younger brother, Luke. So Luke is two years younger than Owen. And, you know, he lived with both me and my husband and his brother. So just, you know, the normal nuclear family. He played soccer and he was in Cub Scouts. And he was just, by all means, the average kid. It was right after you know, Christmas and New Year's break.、Uh, the boys were scheduled to go back to school, and Owen asked me if he had to go back to school that day. 
And, you know, typical mom, I'm like, of course you've got to go back. You've been out for about two weeks and reminded him how much he loved school because he did indeed. But he got up off the couch and he told me he just didn't feel well. He had a headache and then he vomited on my shoes. I, you know, just figured he had a GI bug because there were a bunch going around. But, you know, thinking back, he'd been kind of having some intermittent headaches, a little bit of nausea over the break. And, you know, it kept waiting for the next one of us to get sick and we never did. So I took him to the doctor later that day and he continued to feel pretty poorly. Uh, He was always a pretty obedient kid, especially when somebody else was asking him to do something. And the doctor said, you know, sit up and he didn't and said it a little bit more forcefully. And you could just see how how poorly he felt. So we got sent over to the hospital uh, just that afternoon and uh, they ended up doing an MRI overnight. Uh, They say, you know, most kids don't tolerate an MRI without sedation, but they felt it was so important to get it done quickly, so they said it was worth a try since the anesthesiologist wouldn't be available until the morning. Of course, Owen did great with the procedure. And, you know, I have some medical background, of course, not in oncology, but I had run a complete list of differential diagnosis in my head. And certainly a mass in his brain could cause a lot of these symptoms, but I wasn't considering cancer as the forerunner on my list. You know, he had been on a lot of steroids for an autoimmune condition, so I was thinking abscess, migraine, meningitis. So after the MRI was done, you know, it was the middle of the night, but Owen and I went back up to the room, and we actually we went to sleep. You would think if I was that worried about it, I wouldn't have slept. But we were awakened pretty early that morning when the doctors began the rounds, and the doctor asked me to step down the hall while one of uh, Owen's favorite nurses came into the room with him. And so, you know, I kind of rushed down the hall thinking she was going to tell me that we had to prepare him for a lumbar lumbar puncture, which would be kind of traumatic to to a child, but was pretty stunned when she said that he had a large mass in the middle of his brain. She said at that point it didn't look like an abscess, but of course they wouldn't know for sure unless they could get a sample of it and that he needed to be transferred to a university hospital. But then, you know, we were taken up by ambulance up to Duke that day to meet with a neurosurgeon and, you know, determined that Owen was not a candidate for surgery to remove the tumor uh, just because it was so deep within his brain and surrounded by vital structures but they did need to get a tissue sample, so they decided to do a brain biopsy. So we had to do some more imaging studies and get the brain biopsy done, and um, they got the preliminary path results, which they said were consistent with cancer, but it was going to take a little bit to determine exactly what type and what our treatment course would be. So, you know, we had some bleeding after that. We were in the ICU for a while. But once that was done, they said, you know, you guys can go back home and wait. No point in waiting in the hospital. And so, you know, we came back home. He went to school. I went to work. And and we waited. How much does he understand at this point? Like, how much does does he know? He was always a really smart, bright kid. And I've always believed in being truthful with my kids. Um, You know, when we go to the pediatrician, if they ask, did we have to get a shot? I would tell them, you know, well, I'm not sure, or yes, I think you do. I mean, I just I just don't feel like, you know, we should trick them or deceive them. So, um, you know, he knew he hadn't been feeling well, and we told him that the, the scans showed a mass and that we didn't know what it was, but that that what was, was causing his symptoms. And then when they came back and they were saying the word cancer, I was struggling a little bit more about how to explain it to him because... 
I feel like cancer is often talked about in hushed tones. Uh, it's not really meant for children to hear, if, you know, if an adult has cancer. And I didn't want that for him. I knew he wouldn't be scared of it like an adult is scared of it because it, it wouldn't really mean as much to him. But I, I just wanted to have the right words to use, not only to explain it to him, but so that we could explain it to other people and let them know it was okay to talk about it with him. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just really had no idea where to start. They were actually getting ready to discharge us from the hospital when finally I said, hey, hey, time out. We, <laughs> I need some, some, some ways to explain this. And that's how we learned about uh, child life specialists. I had never even heard of this field, but they are amazing people who really just assist in all aspects of children with chronic illnesses or extended hospitalizations. And so they sent a young lady in to talk with us, and she even had props with her. And so what she did was uh, she explained that the mass in Owen's head was causing his headaches, and it was a group of six cells called cancer that was also called a brain tumor. She said to get rid of the six cells, he would be getting light therapy, which we call radiation, and he would be getting medication by mouth, which we call chemotherapy. And she explained the difference between the six cells that are cancer cells, fast-growing cells, which are your hair and mucous membranes, and regular cells, and she described them as what makes you, you. And so she had this tray um, that she laid down in the bed, and she placed some Alka-Seltzer tablets, and she said that those are cancer cells. She had some Mentos, which she said were the fast-growing cells, and she had some Tums, which she said were the regular cells. And so she asked him to mix up some chemotherapy, and so she gave him some water and some food coloring, and then he was to administer it to the tray. And so what happened was the Alka-Seltzers began to fizz. And she, she asked what he noticed about it. And he said, they're shrinking. And so the fast-growing cells, the Mentos, well, they were changing color. The, the color was coming off, like how you lose your hair or you get sores in your mouth. And what about the regular cells? Well, they were the same. You are still you. And so the cancer cells were not all the way gone. So she had him give more chemo. And then they completely dissolved. And so she was saying that this takes time to make this process work, which I thought was a pretty amazing way to show it, not only to your kid, but to adults as well. Yeah, that is a perfect analogy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she let him, you know, administer the chemo. And so he was taking part. She was asking him the questions and he was giving the answers and he got it. Wow. He understands then that he has to go through this chemotherapy. He has cancer, and he has to go through this chemotherapy. With with Owen, it was a sixteen month battle from uh, you know, from when he was diagnosed to when he ultimately passed in in April of two thousand seventeen. What was that whole process like? Well, I think this is going to sound strange, but I think it was scary and amazing at the same time. I mean, certainly I would have liked to have never had to go through that, but it just let me see more clearly what an amazing kid Owen was. Mm. You know, he just did everything that was asked of him without a fuss. I mean, he was a normal kid. He complained about his share of things, but they were just, you know, his french fries were cold or little things. I mean, he handled the blood draws, the MRI, the surgery, 
having the plastic radiation mask molded to his face, all without complaint. And he didn't seem to be scared. I mean, I tried to explain things before he was going to have them done to the best that I could. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, if he asked what's going to hurt, I tried to be honest and give him my best answer. But, you know, learning his diagnosis didn't scare him. And certainly we didn't share that that he had a poor prognosis. And, And we had our difficulties. Initially, it revolved around his medication. Because, you know, a seven-year-old kid, a picky eater, he never took any medicines. And he went from that to having to take multiple different medications, and they all had to be timed around his radiation and meals. And initially, our radiation therapy was at different times because they were fitting us in. They wanted to get it going as quickly as possible. So we just took whatever slots were open on each day. So... It was this whole complicated schedule, all driven by what time radiation was going to occur. And so later, once we got a more consistent time, it was easier because we just knew what to expect and how it was going to work. But, you know, some of his medicines helped to enhance the radiation. And so we had to take those on an empty stomach an hour prior to radiation. And these were four large capsules. Uh, We had to handle them with gloves. They couldn't be opened. They couldn't be mixed anything. And, you know, he was seven in second grade. And I learned very quickly that you cannot force anyone to take oral medication. Again, child life to save the day. So they suggested practice swallowing M&Ms, which he did like chocolate. (laughs) And so they said, you know, to work out a reward system. We were the parents that were never going to have video games for our kids. Uh, I didn't have any games on my phone. And she said, well, you know, have them play a game on your phone and for a certain amount of time and then take a pill, gets to play the game again and, you know, go back and forth. So we downloaded some games and, again, surprisingly, that worked fairly well. Uh, It did mean that it took forever to get the medicines down, but and occasionally he would vomit them back up. But surprisingly, he, he did pretty well with it. His other medicines were uh, liquids. He had multiple different liquids, and they didn't taste good. But with those, he could eat, and so, or at least have a little bit. And so he would have a different type of drink. He had it all organized that, you know, the red Powerade went with this one, and then the the yellow Gatorade went with this one. And this one you had to have one goldfish to eat with, and this one, you know, required a Teddy Graham to eat with. It was complicated, and maybe we kind of gave in to him a little bit. I guess it could have been done a little bit more simply, but this way, there wasn't fuss. We just got it done. That was really our biggest challenge. Later, uh, he had problems because we don't know if it was from the radiation or from the tumor itself, but it damaged part of the brain that regulated his hormones, and so he had to start taking like an oral cortisone um, tablet, and he had to take it multiple times a day, and when we were not getting the doses right, he was having a lot of vomiting. And so we figured out one of the times he needed to take it was in the middle of the night. Mm. So that meant that I had to wake him up in the middle of the night and go through this whole routine. That was really difficult. I dreaded each night, you know, having to go through it because a, you know, you're tired. You have to wake up a kid who doesn't want to take medicine. It takes forever, but At the same time, I knew there was going to be a date and time where I would give anything to be able to wake up in the middle of the night and give him medicine. I mean, that was kind of the the catch of it all. 
but we got adopted by this cat uh, right before Owen got sick. Um, I'm not a cat person, so I never really anticipated this would be part of our, our family. But this cat adopted us, and by the time um, Owen was waking up in the night to take these pills, the cat would come upstairs with me um, into Owen's room and supervise. It was really funny because he would meow if Owen wasn't taking it in his allotted time. <laughs> and um, when he was done taking the medicine, the cat would leave us. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was really, really bizarre. You know, during those, those nights when we were up in the middle of the night, we shared a lot of laughs, trying hard not to wake everyone else up in the house. But that was probably the biggest challenge was the meds. He did so well. His initial treatment was 33 radiation treatments. Um, they were daily, Monday through Friday. And so, again, he had to take the oral chemotherapy to kind of sensitize the tumor. Owen and I stayed up in Durham. We were fortunate to stay at the Ronald McDonald House. You know, the first few days of treatment, Owen really was not feeling well. Uh, the radiation was causing swelling of the tumor as he was getting bad headaches and nausea and vomiting. But once that settled down, uh, he was feeling better. And that was the winter that we had so much ice and snow. And Owen and I went sledding on cafeteria trays. We, you know, just wandered about in the snow. Being from Wellington, you know, he hadn't had a chance to see a whole lot of snow. And then when we finished radiation treatments, we went back to Wilmington and, you know, he went, he went back to school. I was worried because I was, I was worried about how the kids were going to treat him. He had just started at that school in, in, at the beginning of that year in second grade because um, we had moved from Leland to Wilmington, not far, but, you know, a new school system for him. And, you know, Owen had always been a real scrawny kind of kid. And, you know, here he is going back and... Uh, he he doesn't have any hair, and uh, the steroids are kind of taking effect, and so he's getting a little rotund. I was just a little worried about what the kids were going to say or how they were going to act. Yeah. They were really amazing. Um, they were kind and caring, and we are forever grateful to the teachers and the staff at our elementary school for supporting us, but just teaching the kids how to behave and um, I mean, obviously their parents had a lot of role in it too, but they just really, all everyone was so encouraging and kind to us. And Owen loved school and he wanted to be back. So, you know, he completed second grade, was promoted to third grade. Um, we took a family trip to Alaska that summer, which he thoroughly enjoyed. And we just kept going back and forth to Duke for scans and visits. And you know, he'd get a little improvement and then he'd have a little worsening. His chemotherapy would cause his platelets to get low and we'd have to get transfusions, platelet transfusions and occasionally whole blood transfusions. But fortunately, we could do that, you know, here locally. And he would get to see one of his favorite nurses while we were there. The, this nurse of his encouraged Owen to get these saline syringes and shoot the other nurses. Um, <laughs> I have to say... I was not exactly on board when I knew that's what they were going to be doing. I was like, if somebody came and did this to me, this would not make me happy. <laughs> um, but his buddy Lowell had him armed up every time he went, and they would go around spraying all the other nurses. So Luke really felt left out when we left him at school and would take Owen in because um, they both love to go up there, which, again, is amazing since, you know, not many kids are – literally wanting to go get platelets so they can see their friends. But that's just the environment that they created, which is, I mean, we're just so grateful for. 
So, you know, it got to a point where he was getting transfusions more and more frequently, and his white blood cell count was getting low, meaning he was at, you know, increased risk for developing infections. And so when that happened, I had to give him daily injections um, in addition to his regular medications. And so finally, we got to the point where his neuro-oncologist reduced his chemotherapy dose. They just felt like they were putting him at increased risk. Then his scans got worse despite his chemotherapy, so we had to stop it altogether. You know, we tried a few other therapies, but they just didn't have any effect either. Uh, we looked into trials, but he, you know, he wasn't a candidate for various reasons. Often mm-hmm. it was because he was too young. A lot of them required that you had the tumor resected, and they, they just said, well, we don't really have anything else, and, you know, if something comes up, we'll let you know. With the prognosis of glioblastoma, there is no cure. There's only palliative treatment. And there's basically a 1% five-year survival rate with life expectancy for 12 to 18 months. And so, you know, just thinking about, I prescribe medicine to people all the time, and if there's a 1% risk of a side effect, you know, you tell people, oh, it's a 1% risk, you don't even worry about it. And here we were going, gosh, we want to be the 1%. Somebody's got to be that 1%. And so with the palliative treatment, the hope was that in the interim, while we're extending, there does become a more definitive, better treatment. So we actually tried to pack in as much as we could. My in-laws had uh, organized this trip, so it was with them and with my husband's um, two brothers and their families. And uh, we did a cruise of the Inland Passage and it was beautiful. We went right after school got out, so the weather was perfect. The boys had such a great time. We we gave Owen a little leeway. You know, he he was always the kid who, he would help me fix things. He had a great sense of direction. So once he proved to us that he knew kind of where things were and how to get around, we, you know, give him a little freedom and let him walk around. And he was just proud of himself that he got to do that. You know, he has his own little key card and he got a little lanyard for it. And uh, we would tell him where to meet us and when. And oh, he just, he loved that. But we made multiple stops and uh, it just, it, it was a very special thing. So they packed as much in as possible, but in April of 2017, Owen had moved to hospice care in their home. Well, so we had hospice care, which was a pretty difficult decision, but well, I say difficult decision. I mean, I think it was just really hard to face those words, knowing what they meant. And so we had basically a hospital bed um, that we put in a room that we had with a big window so he could look outside. And <laughs> our our cat, Peaches, uh, stayed by his side for cause he basically would sleep in that bed because he was having a hard time getting around and our house has some stairs. And so we put this, this bed in here and um, he, he started sleeping in it for maybe a, a week or so while he would get up and down. And then there was about a week where he stayed in the bed the whole time. But that daggone cat did not leave <laughs> his side and he would cuddle up on the bed. And he, he was more of a dog than a cat. You know, he wasn't this cuddly cat that would sit with you. Um, but he, he sure did stay by Owen's side. But I had moved a mattress down into that room and would sleep, you know, on the floor. The night before Owen passed away, 
he was just struggling a little bit more with his breathing. And so I had asked Brian to stay downstairs for a little bit. Then Luke decided he didn't want to be the only one upstairs. So he actually went to sleep on my little cot. So we were all downstairs. And, you know, right before sunrise, the birds began chirping. You can hear them and kind of see a little bit of light. And Owen was just struggling a little bit more. So I woke up Brian and, you know, let Luke sleep. And uh, just as the sun started to come up, he just passed away. It was beautiful and horrible all at the same time. Yeah. Um, is the cat still around? So no, it is the strangest oh. thing. Like I say, he showed up shortly before Owen was diagnosed. And Owen passed away at the end of April. And so he hung out with us for a while. I mean, he was with us for several months after Owen passed away. And he... he um, like to go outside during the day and come in at night and one day he just didn't come home and so i think there's some hawks in the neighborhood so i think that may be what happened to him um but he you know he didn't run away or anything like that um but it was like he just kind of settled into our life when we needed him yeah kind of made sure we were okay and then he just kind of disappeared again it was really weird that is weird and and you said you're not really a cat person and then this cat comes into your life for this particular reason. You know, they say that losing a a child is the hardest thing that you can do. How do you have a chance to to grieve when you've also got to be strong for for your family and, and your other son? Well, I think with with Owen's diagnosis, I think my husband and I looked at it a little bit differently. I was not hopeful that we were going to have a magical miracle cure. I was hopeful that we could get as much time as we could. And so I think that I was grieving as soon as I found the diagnosis. And I focused on trying to kind of soak up every little moment that I could there were times when you would do okay with it, but then other times when it was so difficult. I would love to go to the movies, and we didn't go very often, but when we would, there's always a preview, and it would say something like, coming in summer of 2016 or spring of 2017, and Owen would say excitedly, oh, I want to see that one too, I want to see that one too, and it would just crush me because I'm like, oh, there's a real possibility that he won't be able to see it. And every holiday or milestone that came around was great. But at the same time, you, I was just left with this, gosh, is this going to be the last time we X, Y, or Z? In a way, we were lucky because we did. We had this warning and we had 15 months with Owen after his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to remind myself that there's a lot of people who lose their loved ones suddenly and they don't get that gift of time of knowing you know you're you're, i mean we 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 all know we're not going to be here forever but i think we just kind of assume that we are right and then we live like we are i think having that was a really good thing for me and so i don't even know what the, the definition of grieving is i am trying to stay connected to owen you know, I like to think about them, and so I, I don't get out on the beach as much as I would like to, but I love to just walk on the beach and look for shark's teeth, and that's kind of when I think of him. And I love to talk with people who remember him and loved him. It makes me really sad when things he likes change. 
um, whether it's somebody he cared for that, you know, worked at a certain store or restaurant and they've, you know, moved on, you know, I feel like I lose a little bit of him when that happens. And then, you know, it's it's hard because I still think about what he would be doing right now. You know, he'd be about to finish fifth grade and getting ready to graduate from elementary school. He would have completed Cub Scouts and be in Boy Scouts. And I don't know how healthy it is to think that way, but it's hard not to. I think one of the things that um, my husband Brian and I have tried to do is to use our grief in a positive manner. So we've really been working on fundraising for a cure for childhood cancer. We participate in Real Info Research, uh, which is a fishing tournament fundraiser where 100% of the proceeds go to the UNC Pediatric Cancer Research Program. So again, Owen wasn't treated at UNC, but, you know, research is research and they're certainly a good institution. And so the tournament, the first time we did it was last year. And so the tournament was held um, um, the anniversary of, of a year since Owen had passed. And we just kind of thought that was a sign of something we wanted to be involved in so we could be doing something positive on that, that day. We had a mom's team and a dad's team, and um, we're going to do it again this year. And same thing, it's sort of an annual tournament, so it's the same same weekend, so we'll mark two years. But that's, you know, we, we're involved in a lot of other um, fundraising as well, and we have to do things to to make him proud, to kind of live how he would want us to live. I certainly think that, I mean, obviously I'm fortunate to have Luke. I mean, Luke is a great kid in and of himself, but I think if I had only had Owen, it would be a lot harder to carry on. And so having having another child who needs me is a good thing. It keeps us focused on, you know, just the moment to moment and um, moving forward as well. We get a sense of what a special kid Owen was already, but then I asked Jennifer to talk about one of her favorite memories of him, and there was just no way she could narrow it down to just one. I just can't come up with a single favorite memory. Okay. Because, I mean, he had nine years, and while that is brief, that packs in a lot of great memories. It's it's just hard, but I can give you a couple of little quips if you want. Well. My favorite time with him was just like we would read together before, you know, he would go to sleep at night and, you know, he loves to read. And so he was always reading multiple books because I told him that he could not read ahead in the books we were reading together because oh. I didn't want him to skip a chapter and have me having no idea what was going on in the story. So we always had multiple books going on at once. And every once in a while, I'd find him sneak reading ahead in our book. And, <laughs> um, you know, if that's, if that's as bad as your kid gets, that's, that's not too bad. The ones that he went ahead in were the Wayside School Stories um, is a series of three books, and they are hilarious. If you have second to third grade kids is the best age for them. But those are hilarious. And then we read all the Roald Dahl books, but his favorites were the Geronimo Stilton books. And let me tell you, if you give me a subject matter, a location, and a date and time, I can write you the next Geronimo Stilton because they are just a big formula, but he loved them. (laughs) But I just really love to see through what he went through, um, the relationships that he formed. He just had some really special friendships, not only with his families, but with his teachers and his nurses, phlebotomists, volunteers, staff in the hospital. 
one of his favorite friends was one of the um, managers of the hospital cafe uh, who had a special sandwich he said he had made just for Owen, but just endless others. And he would seek them out. And you just see the other person light up. You would see Owen light up. And it just, that, that was so special to me. But having the opportunity to watch him change from the kid he was to the kid he became. I mean, he used to be quiet around other people that he didn't know, shy. He wouldn't, if there was something he wanted, if there was somebody else around, he wouldn't ask for it. And he was still funny and smart and witty and all of those things. But he got to a point where he never worried about what people thought of him, but he just lived life to the fullest. And he would wear what he wanted to wear, do what he wanted to do. I mean, if it was dance in the street, he would dance in the street. But he was he was also very cognizant of other people and what they might be thinking and feeling. And he really enjoyed giving little gifts to people. And so he was very attentive to what people liked, whether it was what kind of soda that they liked or what kind of snack or what kind of pictures. So he would draw pictures for them. But he was just a very thoughtful kid. And he was all along, but somehow this process just really pulled it out of him. And as well as as his his comedy routine, I used to get irritated when we would go to doctor's visits and they would look at me and say, how is Owen feeling? And I'm like, he's sitting right here. Why don't you ask him? I (laughs) I can't tell you how he's feeling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just got him to be able to talk for himself and be his own advocate. And certainly I was there to fill in the blanks, but don't ask me how he's feeling. Talk to him. So anyway, for all the scans that we would have done, they would give him contrast and they go through this whole list of questions. And she said, how are your kidneys? And he looks down at his knees and he said, my kidneys are just fine. (laughs) And, you know, I am not smart enough to come up with something like that spur of the moment. And he knew exactly what she was talking about, but that's just how he was. Um, (laughs) And I think she laughed for about five minutes. He's just a nut. But so he wasn't able to walk around very well. He just didn't have any balance. So one of our friends had brought us a motorized wheelchair, which we have stairs in our house, so we couldn't use it inside, but it had a seatbelt on it. And so she said, well, we could use it outside. We got Owen in it and showed him how to work it. And one of his hands wasn't working very well, so we got it hooked up so we could use the hand that was working well. And he gets in it, scoots off down the driveway, and he says, Watch out, world. Here I come. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's just the kind of stuff he would do. The pediatric hospital here opened a new clinic. And it wasn't a clinic that Owen visited, but he had um, done some drawings and they um, saw they one of our friends had seen them and wanted to enlarge them and use them at the new clinic. So we got to be there for the dedication. We had just enrolled Owen in hospice and we hadn't really explained to him what that meant because I just hadn't had the right time to do it. And while we were there, there was somebody doing a presentation about losing their child who had um, muscular dystrophy. and. They had this video and they talked about hospice and how about him dying. 
and Owen put his head down on the table and I'm like, oh gosh, because like I said, he was a really smart child. And on the way home, I asked him, I said, you know, what did you think of that presentation? And he said, it was such a beautiful presentation. The music was wonderful. And he said, you know, it makes me realize that not everyone who has a perfect life really lives, but I'm living my life. And I mean, he was eight when he said that. Wow. And, you know, I don't think I've ever come up with anything profound and I've had a lot more time to try, but he really, he got it. Owen Preston had a huge heart and doing the little things to make people feel special, that's a lesson from Owen that all of us can take from this episode. And before we go, I asked Jennifer what she would say to Owen if she had a little bit more time with him. Well, certainly I would tell him that I love him and I miss him, but I think he knows that. And just, you know, what a blessing he was in my life and how I hope that, you know, the life that we're living makes him proud. Thank you, Jennifer Preston, for coming on Beyond the Obituary. That fishing event for UNC Children's Hospital that Jennifer mentioned, Reelin' for Research, is at reelin'forresearch.org and we'll be sure to put the specific link to Owen's page in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Obituary podcast from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Share or tell a friend too. Those are the best ways to get the word out there about this show. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jason Gillikin, for Happy Hippo Digital. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks on Beyond the Obituary.